Generosity, we've been saying, isn't an act, but rather a lifestyle. Uh, freely giving of yourself. Giving yourself by God's grace in Christ, just as God has given so freely to you. Generosity, of course, it does include giving money, but it's not limited to money. And we've been paying careful attention to this idea over the past couple of weeks. We've been talking about what it means to be generous with our time, generous with our energy, generous with our hearts, our emotions. We've been talking about generosity through hospitality, our homes, our relationships, sharing friendships, sharing our lives with one another. Generosity includes more than money, but of course it does include money, financial, material generosity, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're looking at a passage that talks about generosity, financial giving, from the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. We know from places like Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 16 and Galatians 2 that Paul the Apostle, the author of this passage, he'd been collecting a a contribution that he was going to deliver to the poor in Jerusalem. Apparently, there was a famine that had struck in the middle of the first century A.D. We know this from other historical sources. And he was going to provide for the needs of the Jewish Christians that were there in that city in Jerusalem. Here he's talking to another church miles and miles away and yet still connected as they are connected to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's making this appeal for them to give. If we pay attention to the passage, we can draw out several principles about financial generosity. We're going to look at six. Yes, six principles of generosity. Lord, give us speed and attentiveness. Here we go. The first principle we find, number one, is that giving is a grace. Giving is a grace. I don't know if you noticed. We said this passage is about money, about financial giving, but the Apostle Paul never actually uses the word money, does he? Why? It's not because he's shy or indirect or being passive-aggressive, as we all can often be, about the topic of money. He's not uncomfortable nor is Paul over-spiritualizing physical needs, as if they're just illusions or we don't really have needs. No, actually, even Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our, what, daily bread. He's not above, even the Savior himself, above praying for food to eat. So what's Paul up to? He's teaching the Corinthians, he's teaching us, That even financial giving is spiritual giving. When you give, you are giving grace from God to another person. You notice verse 1, it starts like this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the what? Grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In verse 6, he talks about giving financially as an act of grace. In verse 7, he talks about the grace of giving. 
In fact, throughout this letter, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul's word choice is really fascinating. Again, he doesn't just talk about money explicitly, but he talks about financial giving as a spiritual blessing, he says. As liturgy in chapter 9. As fellowship, which is a word for partnership with other people. As service, diaconal ministry. He's always talking about financial giving in terms of relationships and of worship. Very different from the way we normally think about how we supply for other people's financial needs. Almost mysteriously, we're told from this passage that physical resources given to one another can become spiritual resources in the economy of God. Money given in faith by God's Spirit as an act of love and faith can, in fact, be a vessel of God's eternal Work He uses physical and temporal and earthly means to produce spiritual and eternal and heavenly ends. Money in God's hands is always more than money. And some of you know this. Maybe you've experienced this recently when someone gives you a financial gift. It doesn't even have to be a lot. But it more than supplies your need. It blesses your heart. It encourages you. In some cases, it even helps you to believe that God cares because you needed a physical token to communicate to you something that's hard to believe, that God cares. Physical gifts and resources that become spiritual, even supernatural resources in our soul. Do you realize this, friend? Here's the call. Give But realizing you're you're giving more than just material gifts, you're giving to people a spiritual gift. Principle number two, you can grow in giving. You can grow. We act like giving is just something you do rather than something you develop. Paul talks about financial generosity almost like a a spiritual skill or or a discipline that you can nurture and cultivate. Notice in verse 7, he says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in, in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So you might be aware of the value of the grace of words in community. Okay, yeah, that's something you should use and that you should maybe even hone. uh, Speak well and learn to speak well to one another. Or maybe the grace of helping a person. Or maybe you're out to tutor someone. Or or maybe here the the grace of faith or knowledge or all these other things that we often call quote-unquote spiritual gifts. Do you seek to grow in giving as you do all these other spiritual things? Do you put it into practice? Do you almost sharpen and hone and study and apply how I can be a better giver by God's grace? 
trying to learn and to try again and maybe fail, but to try again and to persevere and to become a better and more generous giver as God gives you grace. You can grow in giving. Principle number three. See, we're moving quickly here. Principle number three. Generosity is possible in scarcity. Generosity is possible even in scarcity, even in poverty. In verse 2 through 4, Paul here shares with the Corinthians about the just radical, mind-blowing generosity of these Macedonian Christians who were simply people that lived in a different region of ancient Greece. Listen to what he says about how they gave towards the Jewish Christians that were in need because of this famine. He says, starting in verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Who gives like that? Not because you have a lot left over, but because you have love. Who gives like that? Not out of your spare change and spare time, but even out of your scarcity. Macedonians didn't have much. We're told that they themselves were afflicted, were experiencing what you might even describe as extreme poverty. And yet they gave, we're told, beyond their ability. Beyond their ability. Welling up in generosity, and they even begged for the opportunity, the privilege to give in this way. They weren't hiding from it. They weren't trying to get out of it. They wanted to so deeply. What was the key? What are we told was the power in their hearts to give like this overflowing joy? To know that they have encountered Christ in such a way that they would dance and that it would be seen as them a privilege and not a cost, but an honor to be able to meet the needs of those around them. That they were able to not neglect, but move beyond what they didn't have because of all that they already had in Jesus. And to give beyond their ability. It might even be a giving that almost might look a little bit foolish. Have you given like that lately? Have you sacrificed in a way that, that m- might, might be a little bit ill-advised, may not be in the best interest of your long-term financial planning? I'm not suggesting this is the only way to give, but do you dare to allow God to move in your heart to give in scarcity? Not when you have things left over, but when you know that even yourself 
feel broke because you know because of the riches of Christ you ain't never broke. Giving in scarcity is possible. Number four, giving is produced by good news. It's produced by good news. What was the Macedonian church's secret there? What was it that created overflowing joy that made it impossible for them not to meet the needs of those around them, little though they had to give? We usually try to motivate giving by pride, by guilt, and by false promises. Motivating giving by pride sounds like you're better than all those other greedy people out there. Why don't you give? Motivating by guilt sounds like don't you just feel bad for all those other people? And don't you feel bad about all that you have? Come on. Motivating by false promises sounds like God will love you more if you give. God will bless you more if you give. This is absolutely embedded in our normal human way of thinking. It was embedded in Corinthian society. Back then, people were motivated to public fundraising efforts by offering big plaques and buildings that would be named after rich benefactors, the promise of fame and reputation, the motivations of guilt and pride. Sometimes the church, let's be honest, can be the most susceptible to false motivations like this. Paul and scripture motivates in a totally different way. As one commentator put it, for Paul, the basis for giving to others is not what they have done or will do for us, but what God has already done for us in Christ. The foundation of giving is always God's grace. Look at verse 9, the most important verse in this passage. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Of course, it's true that the Son of God literally had everything. And in taking on human flesh, chose to live a life of relative poverty. He did this out of love. He did this to stand in our place. He did this to save humanity. But even more than literal financial poverty, this passage points us to the great spiritual way in which the Son of God debased himself, de de divested himself of all riches. The way in which Jesus impoverished himself, making himself the lowliest of the low, taking the place of humility. He who was rich became poor, living in obscurity. He who was rich became poor, being forgotten and despised by men. He who was rich became poor by submitting himself to the Father's will, taking upon himself the plan of the cross. He who was rich became poor, even dying on the cross, so that he would be impoverished not just of coin and dollar, 
but impoverished of the very relationship he shared infinitely between God the Father and the Son, suffering the wrath of God in our place as he cried out in suffering that we who were poor in our sin, poor in our helplessness, poor in our great need for a Savior might become rich rich in the treasures of heaven, rich in relationship with God through Christ, rich in the promises of God, rich in the dignity of being called a child, a son, a daughter of the king, rich in grace because of the gospel, the good news that produces radical giving. Dear friends, we give because of the gospel. We give. Why? Because we have been richly even, infinitely given to in Christ. This is the great motivation, the great deep reality reminder that generosity starts in the heart. It doesn't start with our hands. God doesn't say, give or I'm going to get you. God says, give because I've got a hold of you. And I have loved you. And I have generously poured out my soul into you, Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The generosity of God which makes us generous. You want to grow in generosity? This passage is telling us, do you feel like you have a stingy heart? Do you feel like you have a a closed-fisted soul, a closed-heartedness towards other people? Are you scared? The key is not just another law of generosity. The key is that you would take into your soul the ultimate story of generosity. That you would receive God's generosity towards you in Christ. And as a church seeking to grow in generosity, cultivating not just acts of giving, but a culture of giving here. That we would remember that we don't just need a bigger capital campaign. We need a bigger vision of Jesus. We don't just need a a louder word to give. We need a louder word in our hearts of God's eternal commitment to give and to give and to give to you and to me beyond what we deserve in the gospel by his grace. Generosity is produced by good news. Fifthly, generosity starts with doxology. You know that old word that means worship? Doxology. Generosity starts with doxology. You see this in verse 5. They exceeded our expectations, Paul says. They, the Macedonians, gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. You see, it's not just knowing the story of the gospel. It's not just knowing, yeah, I guess I know Jesus. He was rich, became poor, and he saved me, so I might become. It's loving it. 
It's loving him. It's letting it drill into your hearts until it produces what we talked about before. Joy. Worship. Praise. You cannot think your way into generosity, friends. Your heart needs to explode with it. And that starts with giving ourselves, first of all, to the Lord who gave himself to us. It's a word of worship and devotion. It's calling ourselves to a rich experience of God's grace as the first step to a life of generosity. It's one of the practical reasons why we take our church's offering on Sunday mornings during our worship service. Because it's always meant to be an experience of God's grace that propels outwardly all subsequent generosity. We need to remember not just what we give or how much we give, but to whom we give. And that starts with doxology. Number six, give what you've got. Give what you've got. Verse 11 and 12. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Paul is telling the people that Look, you're not to give looking over your shoulder, wondering what others have given, comparing yourself and evaluating how you measure up against other people. You do give radically and generously and possibly even out of scarcity, but God is most concerned about the heart, that you give in accordance with what you have, with fullness of heart as an overflow but knowing that some are going to be able to give more and some are going to be able to give less. But you give according to your means, and this is good news, and that means because even if you only have a little bit, you can still give to God in a way that is acceptable to him. That you, even if you don't have much, can put a smile on the Father's face because of your love for him through your gift to him. Do you see the good news of this? That God is asking us to give according to our means, according to what we have, not what we don't have. Of course, keeping in mind that how we define our means, quote-unquote, absolutely gets challenged and redefined by our experience of God's grace. The life-changing generosity of God always compels us to give and give and give. It's an amazing dynamic, the way in which God pays most attention to the heart. To know with freedom that God cares more about our attitude than our amount. Which means that everyone can give radically and generously. And yet also through the amount that we give, God knowing that he's called us to steward the gifts that he's given us, knows what it reflects of our hearts. That this passage reminds us that one of the best benchmarks of spiritual maturity and liveliness and health is in fact 
the manner in which we give materially. There's a relationship that we're reminded of. Jesus calls us to this. We're at number seven here. We got there. Giving is a grace. Number one, giving is something you can grow in. You can grow in giving too. Number three, generosity is possible in scarcity. Four, giving is produced by good news. Five, generosity starts with doxology. Six, give what you've got. Seven, the goal of generosity is equality. Look at verse 13 here and on. Paul says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. The present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, and here he's quoting from Exodus 16, the story of manna, bread that fell from heaven, feeding the Israelites. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. The goal of generosity is that the whole community's needs might be taken care of. The goal is equality, where equality here means not that everyone has exactly the same amount. That passage that was quoted there, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Some had more than others. The point, however, is that everyone's needs were taken care of. That we would give looking out into the community and even around the world, concerned about those who are going without, especially with respect to basic needs. But equality also means mutuality, equal participation in giving. And this is an important point. Paul says, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, but one day, or in a different way, they will supply for your needs. There may be a time when the one that you're giving to might be able to give to you when you are in need. Or maybe that you might give financially, but they might give to you emotionally in ways that money can't buy. That you might give possessions, but they might give you something priceless in spiritual grace or encouragement or friendship, something that might still be counted as the mutuality of giving and taking in community and body life. This is what generosity looks like. And so we come full circle in being reminded that even our financial giving to one another is meeting spiritual needs is more than just goods, it's grace. But God always blesses us in different ways as different people have ability to give. Everyone can participate in radical generosity. God blesses us with the privilege to give, to establish a community that mirrors a little bit of kingdom, equality, and reciprocity where no one is paternalized and seen as just an object of our giving, but we are all one to another, giving and expecting to need to be given to. A humility that can only be cultivated by those that know our ultimate story 
is that we were all poor and are all poor. Spiritually, morally, and in many cases, economically. And yet the one who was rich eternally made himself poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And out of the joy of that good news, we would overflow with generous, costly, joyful giving. May it be so for our good, for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. So Jesus, we pray that you would give us grace. Give. We have been given to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.